Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first ever episode of Reporting as Eligible, a Packard podcast from the Milwaukee's Tailgate Network. Um, I am Paul Noonan. I write for the Shepherd Express, an Acme packing company during the football season, and occasionally for Baseball Prospectus. Um, uh, with me here today, I have, introduce yourself. Hey, I'm J.R. Radcliffe. I am the training sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. <laughs> What's happening, everybody? My name is Matt, but you can call me Matub, and that's how I always introduce myself on the internet. And Matt also writes with me at Acme Packing Company, just to be clear. Um, We're going to have to get that story, uh, you know, maybe in one of these first three podcasts. Yeah, that's uh, actually, I I've, I think I've heard the Call Me Matub story before once or twice, but it I never remember quite what it is. So. <laughs> I mean, I can. it's it's not very intricate if you guys just want to do it right now. No, yeah. no, 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 uh, no, I don't no, think we want to so. save it. It's got to be a mystery we, for we'll the next. We'll tease it. Yeah. We'll tease this out. <laughs> Cliffhanger for the if next we get, episode. If we get enough people to ask the question, we can make it a Patreon tier. It, it can be... <laughs> If we get enough subscribers at this level, Matt will tell why he goes by that name. Um, <laughs> Only $10 patrons get to know my reason. That's right. That's right. Steve, write that down if you're listening. Um, all right. So um, uh, let's get started talking about uh, actual football. So um, the biggest change for the Packers this offseason was the addition of Matt LaFleur, who came to us from the Tennessee Titans. He was their offensive coordinator. Um, he's been around football forever. He's primarily worked with Kyle Shanahan um, and briefly with Sean McVay, which is why he got on everybody's radar. Sean McVay, the head coach of the Rams, is the big hot number for the entire league. Uh, obviously just got them to a Super Bowl. But Matt LaFleur is actually a little bit different. Um, he's been controversial, not controversial, but a little bit so far with stories about his relationship with Aaron Rodgers. Um, and his offense looks like it's going to be pretty substantially different from what Mike McCarthy was running here. So um, start with start with Jr. Um, do you have any initial thoughts on our new coach? Well, I like the idea that we'll see a little more play action. We'll see a lot more Aaron Jones if he's healthy, at least uh, if you follow the Derrick Henry model from last year. So that's good. I like that idea. I think a lot of Packers fans do. And like, I mean, as the as the dumbest of the three football minds on this very podcast, <laughs> I think I'm th- I'm into probably what a lot of people are and and tracking what the relationship is going to be between. Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. Rodgers is going to have a chip on his shoulder like never before because uh you know because he's now now he he's the guy who can't stay healthy. He's the guy who's <laughs> declining as he gets older and he's a guy who can't work with a head coach, right? Like the whole the whole offseason is about his his ego and his reputation and what he's willing to do and how he works plays well with others. So um there's going to be a pretty lengthy honeymoon period here. I I think at least into the final third of the season they're going to be very much in lockstep and then we'll see what happens, you know. Then we'll see as as because I do expect this team to be an eight and eight team or or somewhere in that neighborhood. Happy to be wrong, but I think we'll, we'll see as there's more and more tension, you know, when they're not clearly trajectorying towards a playoff spot. That was 
not a word. <laughs> but uh, as I, as we find that this is a team that's going to have to fight for that playoff spot, I wonder what you know the tension is going to build up. But you know, I'm sure in the early going, they're going to be best friends. Ah, uh, yes, the honeymoon will probably be fine. It will be interesting to see if they get off to kind of a rough start. If that does have some tangible impact, I, I'll say the thing I worry about most with with Lafleur is. I do think that Aaron Rodgers loves to pass more than anything else. And while he may not have liked McCarthy's creativity, he probably liked McCarthy's run-pass split um, more than just about anything else. And it'll be interesting to see how he feels about um, actually having to run the ball more often to set up what Matt LaFleur does. Um, just for people who don't or aren't really familiar with how he tends to call a game, he actually likes to run more out of heavy sets, um, two running back, one tight end sets. Um, more fat it, people. More, more big people um, to lure defenses into defending the run and then um, take big shot plays out of those formations with versatile players who are big but can still get down the field. Um, Mercedes Lewis is probably his best friend, like a prototypical Matt LaFleur guy, a giant blocking tight end who has pretty good hands even though he can't run at all. So um, I can definitely see Rodgers having some issues having to devote plays to actually set all that up. Um, so I do think that'll be interesting and the Vikings, a little bit different, but last year, um, the Vikings offensive coordinator was John DeFilippo. Their head coach is Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer is very old school. DeFilippo wants to pass every play. They could not get along, and DeFilippo lost his job over it. So um, it's not like this kind of thing can't blow up in your face. Um, so Matt, what do you think? So, I, first of all, I think JR vastly underrates how stupid of a football mind I can be. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get along great, Matt. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be huge. It's Paul Paul is the host and he's in charge of the idiots. That's that's a great spot. <laughs> so, uh Paul to your point, I gr- agree heavily in that I think it's going to be a tough adjustment for Rodgers having to run a lot more, but I also think that Rodgers is going to have to break himself of a lot of bad habits that he developed under McCarthy where he just straight up ignored his coach and the scheme that was in front of him. I think that um all these sound bites about Aaron being super excited about the the scheme that they're going to run and watching these highlight plays of guys taking 80 yard shots. That's all well and good, but I just worry that the second that everything kind of goes sideways, that Aaron's going to go back to playing schoolyard ball and like, let's run around until Devontae gets open kind of thing. I think that is a, a definitely something to worry about. He does go rogue. He does his own game. And one quote that Rogers will say over and over again is he's earned the right to do that. Um, I, I do. I've been talking with just a few people about the the Lafleur scheme, and in some ways, it's it's really meant for worse quarterbacks than Rodgers. It really is to to drive those sort of easy throws for um, quarterbacks who may not be as accurate or as clever. And I could see somebody of Rodgers' acumen getting bored doing it and just deciding to go rogue pretty easily. Um, it, it, I think it will be very interesting. Like, there's a lot of creativity here, too, that he might like. And the ability to throw deep to guys who are wide open, should that happen, ought to make him happy. But um, it, it is going to be a huge change. And I do think that it does... One, one aspect of this, too, that is very important is having big guys who can catch passes. You've seen a lot of Danny Vitale early in camp. Um, fullbacks are important in this offense. And Aaron Bad Jones <laughs> Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are going to be um, challenged to be a bigger part of the passing game this year, too. Um, it, that's going to be another change for Rodgers, which it was really not a big part of the McCarthy offense other than bailouts and terrible screens. So, hey, uh, it's, funny, it's, it's funny to talk about like big targets that can catch passes when the the play that keeps playing in my head 
is uh, Tunyon's touchdown against the Seahawks, and that it was it was uh, after the game. Aaron goes, "Well, I honestly thought that was Jimmy. Like, if he knew that was Tunyon, do you think he would have thrown the ball?" No way, absolutely not. <laughs> nope. Um, that was a trust pass. Um, Aaron has not been a big trust pass guy, and he, I mean, it's re- first of all, it he threw. T- I think Jimmy Graham was second on the team in targets last year. He was very high. Um, he, there, he did not earn anybody's trust. I don't know what Aaron was thinking, forcing the ball to Jimmy Graham as much as he did. But yeah, he, he did trust him, and he threw to him a ton, and he never would have thrown. By the way, he should have known it wasn't Jimmy Graham because he was actually down the field. Um, <laughs> oh, but, yes. W- w- We're already throwing haymakers. Should, should have been a tip-off. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I have a question about the... You know the the Titans' offense was just you know okay, and in, in even the most glowing the most glowing thing you could say about it is it's okay last year. So if if somebody brings that up, what do you think the mitigating circumstances are there? Because you you know you said this is built for quarterbacks who aren't as elite, you know, and then Marcus Mariota who's who's okay, um, and 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 still they were what like fourth in their own division or something, and and they've got an offensive coordinator coming from we couldn't hack it in Jacksonville, so and their offense was one of the worst in football. It was fourth worst in the AFC, um, and like they were just a hair better than the Raiders, which is not yeah. a good place to be. So why why is it going to be different in Green Bay? If if somebody from the optimistic point of view, why why would it be different here? Well, from the optimistic point of view, um, he has a lot of excuses. Um, one of the problems with him is he's there's just not that much that you can tell from him from his past. He's always either been. Um, had a, another offensive mind ahead of him, like McVay or Shanahan, um, or in the case with the Titans last year, all of their skill position players got hurt. Their wide receiving core was awful. They played Blaine Gabbert for um, quite a few games when Mariota was out, and that's no fun for anybody either. Um, so uh, the optimistic um, is he was resourceful in using his running game and in going heavy and sort of limiting his quarterback's opportunities, kind of playing old-school um, hide-your-quarterback football. And they finished 9-7, and seven, which, um, you know, it wasn't good for the, the division for the FC, but for what he was given to work with is not a bad outcome. Now, he was the offensive coordinator, and their defense had a big piece of that too. Um, but he, he had Derrick Henry, and he had Dan Sims, and he pounded them into the middle of that line mercilessly. Um, they, right. I, like the, you guys, you, you also can't discount the fact that Nathaniel Hackett was playing with Blake Bortles. So it's another... Did I say did I say Blaine Gabbert? I meant Blake Bortles. They're the same person. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I actually did not catch that at first. Like, yeah, yeah, Blaine Gabbert, Jacksonville. Yeah, like, but Jacksonville, like Gabbert was there, wasn't he? Like, it's the same thing. Yeah, but yeah, it's was he taken ahead of JJ Watt in 2011, or was he just? I think he might have been after, just after JJ Watt, like 15th overall. I think or he was after. Um, other otherwise, we would hear about him more. Yeah, yeah. I remember they were they were friends at the draft and everything. So uh, it was definitely the same class. But anyway, carry on, Matt. So, um, yeah, and, it, and it's uh, the, the joke that I always made is like Nathaniel couldn't hack it in Jacksonville. But when you have when you have Blake Bortles at the helm, it's just like you said, you have to hide him. You can't rely on Bortles arm. The whole I don't know if you guys remember the Blake Bortles hype from when he was drafted, the whole raise your Bortles thing. He was the first quarterback taken in that draft, which honestly has shaken out to be a a very poor draft class for quarterbacks. To say the least. Gabbert was taken 10th, Watt 11th. Oh, my goodness. Oh, okay. Beautiful. Wow, that is beautiful. a terrible, terrible fit. Christian Ponder taken 12th. Jake Locker taken 8th, though. No, no. Okay, that's much worse. Not even in so, football anymore. Anyway. But So the, the only thing that sticks out to me about the J.J. Watt draft is I remember Mel Kuyper just tearing the Texans apart for not taking Nick Fairley. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, who ended up with the Lions, right? Yeah, two and, picks later. Yeah. And, and I mean, Fairley was really, we have completely gone off course already, really which, That's which okay. is the idea. Yeah. But like Fairley was was that guy. Like I think it surprised everybody that they didn't take him. So I, I kind of understood that at the yeah, time. Yeah, that's good scouting there. That's all well, that it is. Great no, scouting. Mel Kuyper specifically ripped J.J. Watt for having a job in college. He used to call him I remember pizza that. Boy. I remember that, the pizza boy thing. Oh, man. Well, we shouldn't, <laughs> first of all, we've already paid way too much attention to Mel Kuyper, who... Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's just a celebrity who reads names on TV at this point. He's not a um, a real analyst in any way, and you can't really be an analyst of the draft anyway. It, it you know, mo- the first whatever ten picks are usually somewhat obvious, and after that, it's kind of a crap. Seven shoot. defensive linemen in that first round who have been Pro Bowlers. It, that that's an amazing Nick Fairley, not one of them. Yeah. For what it's worth, Mel Kiper, <laughs> Nick Fairley was not one of them. Poor Lions, uh, <laughs> they just really are snake bitten to some extent. So, so anyway, we're, we're, I think we're all kind of wait and see on Lafleur, and it, until he actually, we actually see some actual play in regular season football because they're going to hide concepts in preseason. Like this is all new for everybody; they're not going to put it out there on tape. And uh, uh, like Aaron Rodgers, uh, there's a funny quote today that like Rodgers is frustrated right now that he isn't allowed to run the offense so when people can see it, which is hilarious. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, but um, let's just transition into another part of the offense that I think is pretty questionable, which is, so Aaron Rodgers was him his MVP self when he had a really, really stacked receiver core, um, and the last vestige of that was Jordy Nelson pre-ACL tear. Since then, he's been a lot worse, and the offense has been a lot worse. Even that, um, that season Aaron Rodgers had recently where he threw 40 touchdown passes was historically unprecedented in that no one with as low of yards per attempt as Rodgers has ever completed 40 touchdown passes in a season. And that's great. He might just be super, I mean, he is super awesome and he can do that, but it's also not something you want to count on. Uh, he's been much more conservative since that Nelson injury. The receivers have been much worse. Devontae Adams has developed very well and is, I would say, a great true number one receiver. But the depth behind him has been very, very lacking. They go into this season with Geronimo Allison coming back from injury and with a couple of late-round draft picks behind him. You guys have any worries there or any favorites? Uh, Matt, you want to go first on this one? So, I mean, I'm the to go back to the Aaron Rodgers soundbite of him talking about how hyped he is on the Shanahan system, he lists off a bunch of plays that feature guys that run in the four threes. And so I think that this is the year for Marquez Valdez-Scantling to really break out. I think that LaFleur will know how to use a guy who has that kind of speed and can stretch the field, maybe take the top off the defense. I mean, you have arguably the best first-step receiver in the league in Devontae Adams. And if you can get someone out there and show a defense that they have someone with speed like Marquez or even overall athleticism like uh, Equinemenius, who is is equanimous? Equanimous. Equanimous. You can just say. E. Let's just do. E, let's just do ESB and MVS or ESQ okay. and MVS. So, so when you when you've got um, someone who's an overall athlete like that and someone who's an absolute burner in MVS, I think that those two guys can open up the field for Devonte. And and when you get someone like MVS playing big slot, I think that that would work really well in the quote unquote Shanahan system. I also, I'm, I'm biased in the fact that I will always go with the athlete over the uh, journeyman, and so I personally don't get the Kumaro hype. I get, I, I get. You don't get the Kumaro hype. I think the Kumaro hype's pretty obvious, really. <laughs> <laughs> Green Bay, Green Bay has a type, and he is that type. 
<laughs> Jeff Wait. Janis, what does he have in common with him? <laughs> Jordy Nelson, what do they all have in common? John Kuhn. John so Kuhn. I, I've got this. I've got this tweet saved that I always drop in this situation, and it's an article from Rob Domofsky that's uh, the title is. Aaron Rodgers wants to see more of Jared Aberderis. <laughs> <laughs> and so every single time someone is like, Rodgers was talking about Kumro today. Rodgers was talking about Kumro today. Yep. I always send them that and say, well, Aaron Rodgers is not the GM. I'm sorry. I'm also curious to see what happens with uh, with Jamon Moore. Um, Jim Ozarski wrote about him and how he sort of sort of felt he was a forgotten guy i think understandably given uh, given what they had with uh, with mvs and equity st brown and you know same draft class jamal moore just wasn't at that level yet and i'm curious to see if he can fit back into the into the picture you know it is pretty stark when you look at it's just going to be all these young guys like you know there is no number clear number two beyond behind Devonte adams in terms of experience so um i would like like you guys i expect mvs to break out and be a pretty big second weapon knowing also that Aaron Jones should be way more involved yeah. this year than they have. And like you said, maybe Mercedes Lewis breaks out the tight ends. Probably not. Probably so. not. But hey, the tight ends are going to be hopefully used a little bit a little bit better than we've seen in past years. And maybe that means Jimmy Graham actually has a good year too. I don't know. But uh but you'd you'd like to think that they can take the pressure off of you know off yeah. these young guys. Um I, I actually I like Jamon Moore's college tape a ton when he came out. And it's it's been disappointing to see just how, how he can't really hang on to the ball. Um, he was a polished route runner, but he's really struggled. And I do think because of the offense they're going to run this year, he might struggle to make the team. Um, they're probably not going to go super deep at wide receiver. I think six is probably the most that they keep. And, uh, and that even might be a bit of a stretch. And I, I actually, I like um, Equiminius a little bit better as a prospect, but I, I agree with you on Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Um, I think this offense really plays to his strengths. I, I, the other day I was comparing him to Alvin Harper, which is kind of a rip because Alvin Harper wasn't actually very good. But um, if you have the functional equivalent to Michael Irvin on the other side of you and you're running your offense specifically to generate shot plays down the field, he's a perfect fit for it. That's, That's a great a comparison, who man. Goes deep. So um, I, I actually, like if you need a deep fantasy player, I like that a lot. And um, Geronimo Allison has been running almost entirely out of the slot in preseason. So uh, but they're th- all going to play slot, aren't they? I Even think Adams. Everybody will probably rotate in through and play slot, but he's been like literally 100, um, percent and doing pretty well by all accounts. So um, possibly like a good kind of PPR there for Geronimo, and he's like a perfect Lafleur guy too because he can spread out um, wide and go deep also. So, um, I, I, and as much as I once again I'm I'm the the athleticism preacher, <laughs> I think I think Geronimo is the example of track slow pads fast. He definitely outruns his 40 time on the field it's i I hate to say the term sneaky fast but like he (laughs) to me is is that is that definition like he ran something like a four six at the combine but then in the bears game last year he was outrunning kyle fuller i thought he was i'm looking it up right now i thought he had a faster combine than that but i could be wrong I, i i swear it was in the it was in the four sixes or like the upper. oh you're right it was it was four six seven good call (laughs) <laughs> so, but I think he plays much, much faster than that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think of him as kind of a burner, actually, too. Wait, did w- earlier you said that you were just as dumb as I was, and then you recalled a forty time from the combine? So Matt, Matt's <laughs> oh. secret sauce, by the way. Um, and ho- hopefully, we'll we'll talk about this stat a lot. But um, at Pride of Detroit, our sister site for Acme Packing Company, um, one of the writers is Kentley Platt, and he's the developer of Relative Athletic Score, which is a combine um, aggregator that tells you how um, it's like Spark, but it works in a couple of different ways. So. Um, 
it's a good kind of um, a quick measure for how athletic somebody is. And Matt is the one who told me about it, and he seems to memorize them pretty well. So. <laughs> it's uh, there. There are certain things that I can memorize. I can see a movie once and know all the lines, and apparently I can look at a draft class and remember all of their RASs. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely random, but that's yeah. awesome. It, it's it, it just it is good. The to movie know. line thing is great. That's very applicable. Yeah, it, indeed, and it, it's good to know um, RAS too because the Packers actually seem to pluck from the high reaches of it a lot, especially in their free agents um, and undrafted free agents. A lot of those guys are RAS superstars. Um, like uh, the one that jumps to mind for me is Tony Brown, who has been excelling at corner in the preseason and is one of the most athletic people in the league, um, and seems to be actually turning into something now, which is kind of exciting to see. Um, anyway, um, well, the the recent the recent worst uh, RAS. So RAS is a scale from one to ten. Um, anything over five is considered average for the NFL. Anything over seven is considered elite for the NFL. Anything in the nines is is just freak beast. You are the best of the best. Um, the worst athlete that the Packers have taken recently was Cole Madison, and he's in the mid fives. But almost their entire draft class for the last two years has been in the nines. Yep, it's their thing. Um, and, you know, the Packers front office was early adopters of metrics like that. And Ted Thompson was a big believer in having those cutoffs. So it's not surprised to see them keep up with that. It, I actually would like to see them take some flyers on some less athletic people because I think their scouting is wasted occasionally. But, uh, you know, picking from that end of the pool is going to work more often than it doesn't. Um, I'm so, so over my head on this podcast, friends. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> if we can start talking about Brewers OPSs, I'm back in the groove. But wow, <laughs> wow, I'm out. I'm out on this. Yeah. Okay, well, well Jr., you're, you're like this. Paul is the person who told me what war meant, and that was like a month ago. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a very important stat. I'm very very big fan. <laughs> <laughs> we we have like war, war in football, right? I was told there'd be war. So they've they've been so it's hard, first of all it's hard to do football and war for a lot of reasons. One of which is that quarterbacks are worth like eight wins. <laughs> So, yes. like, everybody else is splitting eight wins between 52 players. And, like, th- there have been some guys working on war for a while. Pro Football Focus says that they're close to having one. Um, and even if they don't have it, that research has been useful to just towards telling you kind of which positions are more important. Um, but I think any war you get is going to be pretty ugly. Baseball war is not even great for a single season just because the defensive component is so prone to small sample size. Well, I know pass rush after quarterback is one of the bigger things. So before so, we move on, I wanted to ask you something again. <laughs> so you blew past that, but we're going to come back yes, to that later. Cause. Yes, we've got, this is not on the agenda, but I don't want to – because we, we obviously this is the first thing, time we've done this. You have thoughts about Mike Daniels, about the Packers moving on from Mike Daniels. I do. And and I want to hear them because uh, – because I, you know, like a lot of people, I was caught off guard. I, it's, you know, it's not, it's not completely unheard of for them to cut ties with a player who's been very effective in recent years. Josh Sitton, my my guy, whose jersey I own, although I have a Mike Daniels jersey as well. I seem to. This seems to be a cottage industry for me to to get popular players and then have them get <laughs> have cut leave. immediately. I got a Joe Thomas jersey like the second before he announces his retirement. But um, but but w- give me a sense of where you are now with the Daniels thing. Have you have you have you changed your thoughts on that? Not really. Like I kind of claim victory. He, I, I, I had so many people when he was cut. Like I, I tweeted immediately. Like that's a bad idea. And people yelled at me like, "Well, there are obviously no trade takers. He's not going to make as much money. He did make as much money. He, he actually he he got it. He got more than what we would have saved by keeping him from the Lions." And I, it's a move that I don't like generally, where you cut a good player because he's not a fit in your scheme. Like. Um, the 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 best example of this is Bill Belichick, who's great at adjusting his schemes to fit his players. If your scheme is that rigid that you can't accommodate Mike Daniels, then your scheme is bad, and um, it's hard to get versatility like he provides um, on the interior 
in terms of pass rush and run stop. His run stop numbers were very good last year when he played. Um, people say he's injury prone. Yeah, he's 30. He might be injury prone. He had a foot injury. Big guy. Like I, I understand all the reasons you move on from him, but he was rock solid for most of his career, and he had one kind, you know, semi-major injury last year. That doesn't make you injury prone. That's just how football works. So um, I would have liked to see them keep him. I understand why they didn't. They're very deep with guys they like at those positions. They drafted Rashad and Gary Hyde to play there. They have the Smith brothers moving in. Um, so like it, it makes sense. It gives them financial flexibility. But I think that you could have gotten that money with some judicious use of resources earlier and maybe not signing some people to big contracts that you did earlier that you didn't really need. It does sound like Gary and the Smiths are kind of the stars of of, of camp. Yeah, so they are the stars that. of camp. Yes, but uh, you know, and you don't know how true this is, but the number of teams that seemed to show interest in Mike Daniel suggested that they could have probably gotten something for him in a deal. They made it sound like that just was not an option. I for them. do kind of wonder if the vast majority of the teams that were interested in him that seriously weren't all in the NFC North because mm. um, the Bears could actually use depth at that position. Uh, I'm not sure he's a great fit there either, but um, they are they're fantastic up front, but they're not deep. Um, and the Lions actually, I forget who got injured, but they suffered an injury on their line. Um, and he, I think, I mean, whenever a, a Packer is cut, you think that they're going to the Vikings immediately. And I wouldn't be surprised if they reached out as well. So I kind of wonder if a trade didn't happen just because they don't like trading in the division. And sure. That's where he ended up. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 weird that they couldn't get at least, you know, even a seventh. I mean, that's worth that is nothing, essentially, but it's better than literally getting nothing. Like why not? Why not call up an AFC team and be like, "Hey, do you guys want to swap sevenths and like, <laughs> like just to get this guy out of the division?" Yeah. So, uh, like, uh, anyway, it just—it's not the kind of move I like. Like, I've liked most of the Packer moves this offseason. I think they've had a good offseason, but there have been a few that I don't really care for. Although one of them was Rashawn Gary, who seems to actually be playing quite well. So, I—I I was probably the, the one of the earliest adopters of the Rashawn Gary hype train, <laughs> but that's just because I worship at the altar of Brett Coleman. He is a uh, film grinder for originally for Battle Red Blog, our sister site from Acnepack Company for the Texans. But he has since branched out to become his own YouTuber. He did a mock draft where he mocked Rashawn Gary to the Packers and listed all these reasons how he fits perfectly in Mike Pettin's scheme, how he's not going to show up on the stats, but he's going to allow everyone else to show up on the stats and showed examples of like why Chase was Winkovich, Winovich. The guy the Patriots took yep. from Michigan. Um, basically, every single one of his sacks was because Rashawn Gary was eating three blockers. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> and Chase Winovich with that glorious hair. Like, he should have been the guy flying all over the field making plays. It, it worked out perfectly <laughs> exactly. for Michigan. It was very aesthetic. All right. Does anybody want to say a quick word about Jordy Nelson uh, rejoining the team? Yeah, I think he'll add great depth to that receiving core. Very Veteran. much looking forward to how he contributes in his one day with the Packers. Mm-hmm. I think I think right now Jordy Nelson could beat Jimmy Graham in a foot race. Oh no! <laughs> I, 100%, I believe could, that. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. He couldn't. Well, actually, he could outcut him too. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy shouldn't really be on the team, should he? Um, Do you think there's a faster Kansas Farmer? I mean, no way. It can't be. Absolutely not. Unless. So, so it's funny. My uh, my entire online brand is making terrible memes and photoshops about the Packers. Far and away, my most popular meme i ever made was i edited the distracted boyfriend with a packer's helmet and uh the 
uh, girl he was looking at was a 31 year old tight end and the, his current girlfriend was a 32 year old wide receiver <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good I got a lot of hate, like a lot of hate for that one. Yeah, we should have a segment where you just describe a meme on the radio. I think <laughs> that's a good idea going forward. Let's keep that one. Um, all right. Um, so uh, we like talking about the Packers. We also talk, like talking about not liking the Bears. So um, I did want to just quickly touch on Mitch Trubisky, partially because all the camp reports are that he's been awful, and that's great. Um, and I've been searching for comps for Mitch Trubisky all day because um, for somebody with his adjusted net yards per attempt, which is the best quarterback metric that currently exists, just so you all know, you can just find it on Pro Football Reference next to all the basic stats. Um, it correlates well with winning. Um, no one who's had a um, that an adjusted net, an Enya, whatever we'll call it that, um, as low as his, has really turned out to be very good. With Did a you couple, just of, call it an Enya. Yeah, I'm going to call it an Enya, like the sail like, away. Oh, I, yeah, I absolutely. Say I call it. Yes, I say, we're calling it an Enya. See, I I say Enya. Enya, I like Enya because it does it puts me in that kind of smooth jazz mode. Yeah, Orinoco um, flow. The Enya is the national it. endowment Orinoco of the flow. arts. I, good good callback on the actual name of that song. Yeah, my wife likes that. Uh, Perhaps <laughs> disaster. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the only the only quarterbacks that were as bad as him for his first two years and ended up being any good were Peyton Manning, which is a good one to have, except. Peyton Manning's teams were atrocious, and he threw the ball like three times as much as Trubisky's called on to do on a good team. And Andrew Luck, because honestly, the Colts have a terrible front office that just is bad, and then Luck's into getting good quarterbacks. Um, after that, you're looking at like your Brian Hoyers and some other terrible people. Um, but I think I actually have a really, really, really good comp after looking at the numbers and discussing with some, some friends. Um, I think the best comp for Trubisky is actually Colin Kaepernick. Um, he's, he's, he's not a very good, so he's kind of a one read passer. Um, he can only throw one direction. Um, famously at this point, he is good with his legs though. He's not. So my original go to this was Cam Newton because their passing stats are very similar, but Cam Newton's first years, he rushed for 1400 yards and like 24 touchdowns. So he was like just a dynamic weapon with his legs that Trubisky's not. He's a good scrambler, but he's not, nobody's because Cam Newton was the first two years. Um, but Kaepernick's about right. They they kind of pass the same. They, they buy time with their legs. They roll out. They get some important yards. If you look at Trubisky's like QBR, which is a, not a good stat, but the reason it's not a good stat is because it overrates running and makes Trubisky look really good. Um, so I, I think that's like if, if he develops along the lines he is right now, that's kind of his ceiling. That's not too bad. Like Colin Kaepernick's ceiling's played pretty, in the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty good. But I don't think it's quite up to the hype that he's been getting in camp. Um, well, the the thing about the Bears and Trubisky is as soon as they traded up to get him, they had to drink this Kool-Aid that it was like it was the best trade ever. Uh, this this was our guy. We had to go get him, even if we overpaid for him, even though we didn't. <laughs> like like <laughs> even though two other better quarterbacks were sitting right there for us. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, the. The reports out of camp, I'm really loving getting them from different sources. Yeah, it's great. So can can I can I just like straight up put someone on blast right now? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so uh, Lester from Windy City Gridiron was at camp, and to this morning at 9:06 a.m., he tweeted, "After a nice day yesterday from Mitchell Trubisky at Bears camp, it sounds like he's crisp and decisive again today." Six minutes later from someone else who was not from Windy City Gridiron, said Rich Campbell was on 670 and reporting that Mitch was having really bad accuracy issues against second-string defense. He said Neji looked visibly 
frustrated. Yeah, that's more in line with most of the reports coming out of camp is that he's overshooting people all the time and just not on time. So, um, yeah, the Bears, you know, kudos to them for last year. It was great. Um, I, I do hope that the, the the reliance on Trubisky kind of blows up. I don't think, like, the way that they draft, I think they kind of know he's not great. Like, they, they seem to be really concentrating on run game, um, on on kind of passing game that, like, kind of like the LeFleur plan, honestly, a little bit, where they're going to get him easy throws and protect him a little bit. So, um, hopefully that offense does not improve. I don't think it will. This is a little bit, to because I want to bring this back to baseball, a little bit like <laughs> Brewers fans being upset with them trading Mauricio Dubon. He's a top five prospect in the organization, but, you know, not a top 100 prospect overall. Yep. When you're the Bears, I can understand why you want to get excited about the next quarter, you know, the, the quarterback that finally breaks this endless streak of mediocre quarterbacks, especially when that stupid team north of you has got, you know, has had a Hall of Fame quarterback since as far back as most guys can remember. So I can understand why there's this unbridled enthusiasm for Trubisky, but especially because you just broke it down statistically, I have no problem ripping him and will continue to do so with, with glee. <laughs> I, I just think, um, I, I, you think they'd be a little more skeptical, that's all. You know, like, the, I, I, when they signed Cutler, this is exactly how he was covered as well. As like, this is great, this trade's franchise-altering, he's going to be the greatest ever. I mean, when it happened, I liked Cutler okay. I thought it might be true, too, but they've been burned so many times. Like, um, you know, slow your roll, I believe, is the phrase. We would have had well, no way I of mean, knowing how Cutler could be this good as a reality star. So you never know. Exactly. Some Some guys develop. So, but if you honestly think hard about it, Trubisky is probably in their top five all-time quarterbacks already. <laughs> I don't think he is. I think that's premature. I actually think Cutler probably is. He actually had some good years there. Well, but I would honestly say that Cutler's the best quarterback in Bears history. He's not. Luckman is. But you think Luckman? Okay, so I, I would say Cutler, Luckman, and then probably Jimmy. Uh, I think. Yeah, I, I might put Jimmy ahead. I think Jim was really good. I, I just think he got hurt too much. And Cutler, you weren't just going to get anywhere with him. Um, then we get into the Eric Kramers and Dave Craigs, which is also fun. So, um, <laughs> all right, uh, should we should we do a quick a quick few questions from the, from the twitters and then wrap this from, puppy yes. up? All from right, the twitter dot com. Um, so the first one I have down here is from Abe, who I've read your last name like five thousand times and never thought about having to pronounce it. Equanimous. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> so um next time um tell me how to do it phonetically we're gonna go with jarachuski that sounds probably maybe right um so uh his question is um did you have to pay kevin barry for the rights to this podcast and that is a good question oh reporting is eligible so, i like that that is great no one ever reported for el- as being eligible more than kevin barry um <laughs> who is what, what do we call that formation the u u 51 71 I forgot. Was it U571? So was it after the submarine? It, that's why I said those numbers definitely. At this <laughs> I just realized it's probably not right. Um, so do you guys want to know a fun fact yes. about Kevin Barry? Please. Uh, a- after his rookie year, according to pro football reference, he was always listed as a tight end. <laughs> well, why so wouldn't for, you? So for the three of his four-year uh, Packer career, he was a tight end. Did they ever throw to him? I don't think they did. I don't think they did either. So just for people who he, don't know, Kevin Barry was always the tackle eligible on um, – was that was that early McCarthy era or late? I think it might have straddled the two. It areas. was it was it was the two. It was late. It straddled the two. McCarthy. So, so for, for any any power run, and he was good at it. Like uh, Kevin Barry had his role, and he did it well. So nobody ever reported for eligibility more than that guy, and did a fine job and acquitted himself. Is well. the most famous 
case of reporting is eligible than the Julius Peppers play that doesn't work in the end zone? I think so. Actually, that was going to be the logo before I decided we might get sued for um, copyright infringement <laughs> if yeah. we used it. Um, I have good pictures of that. And I, I think that that's probably it. Um, Man, he, that's too bad. He should have caught it. It was a bad throw by Rodgers. It, it, it was behind him. It, so Paul and I have discussed that play ad nauseum. And honestly, Peppers in break was so much better than it had any right to be. Yeah, he was that, that, he was open. Like Yes, that I honestly think that 12 threw the ball where he thought he would be and not like where he was going to be. Could Julius Peppers win a foot race with Jimmy Graham? Absolutely. He would destroy him. <laughs> oh, 100%. He would, he would I bet him. Julius Peppers will be able to win a foot race with most NFL players <laughs> yeah, for the next like right. 15 years. That guy is amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, the Julius Peppers play produced what is, I believe to this day, one of the most overpowered uh, Madden Ultimate Team players ever. <laughs> in, uh, uh, in 2016, out of position, Julius Peppers was like an 86 overall tight end <laughs> who was literally better than Greg Olson. <laughs> well, he might have been in real life. That's possible. It's because Madden can't get Greg Olson right. That's yeah. not Greg Olson in Madden. So it's uh, that's part of the problem right there. All right. Let's do Brendan Kennedy. Um, will Rogers ever embrace being a pocket passer in your opinion? Um, I kind of am a pessimist on that. I don't really think he will. I, I think he really, really has it in his head. He's got to make the big play a lot. And I think until he can't walk, he'll probably be roaming out there. If it happens, it'll be for that reason. That kind of happened to Favre that way. He just couldn't run anymore, and he had to stand there because <laughs> he had no choice. But, like, Rodgers, this is 36 season. He's doing his 35 season. He was getting banged up. I don't see that guy changing. Um, but I don't, th- he, he better this year because otherwise he's not going to play that much longer. Well, Paul, I've got a follow-up question for you. Uh, did Steve Young ever learn to be a pocket passer? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, he did not, and he was concussed out of the league at Short age 38. So <laughs> that, that, that'll, that'll draw a lot of fun Twitter flack later. So I mean, Rodgers has run the ball even when he's had these injuries. Like, he's, he, you know, maybe for a game or two he's sitting in the pocket, but then he's, he's, he's moving. So, yeah, he's, he's like you said, it's he's not going to get slowed down. He's, he won't do it. Well, Rodgers' uh, most recent MVP campaign happened on a bad calf, um, the best game he played was when he freshly broke his leg and yep. was high on Vicodin where he couldn't <laughs> run around much. So honestly, like like a gimped Rodgers that's forced to play out of the pocket is a really good player. That's true. Uh, so just real quick, on that game last year against the Bears when he came out and came back in the second half and had to play from the pocket, um, it, it also had, has the effect of neutralizing the other team's best weapons, especially against the Bears. Like the, the Bears have an, an outstanding pass rush. They couldn't get to him not because he was mobile, but because the ball was gone every time they got to him because he threw on time and it worked great. And it would be great if he did that more often because he's super accurate when he does, but he just doesn't seem to have that in him at the moment. Hopefully LaFleur changes it. If he can, they'll be dynamite. But uh, changing Aaron Rodgers, I think, is a hard thing to do. So... Let's see. Ah, this is, so how are the safeties looking in camp? Um, so the, 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 this is from um, <laughs> Leisure Suit Lawyer in 2020. Very nice reference to a terrible pornographic video game. Um, hey, you know what? 
the Leisure Suit Larry got a reboot when I was in high school on the original Xbox, and that game was also equally terrible, but much less pornographic. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, that's the way you want to you want to go with that game, right? Is is to yeah, the PG thirteen version of Leisure Suit Larry. What a great idea! I just want to reiterate how over my head I am on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you haven't heard a lot about the safeties for two reasons. One is that Adrian Amos has actually been very good, um, and when your safeties are good in preseason it's not that big a deal you don't hear about them screwing up the other reason is that darnell savage had his wisdom teeth pulled and hasn't actually played very much um so um what you, you should be concerned about is what the, the backups are doing there and uh, so far kind of okay um i mean it's training camp scouting but um the best news on that front is no news if they're getting toasted deep and out of position you usually do hear about it we heard about it a lot last year before the season started um and then for some reason, nobody decided to cover HaHa, but you heard about Bryce and the other guys a lot. But it's been um, a pretty solid preseason for the safeties thus far when they've been on the field. Um, it'll be interesting to see Savage get a little more time once he's up to speed, um, but uh, that, that'll come soon. So, if I, if I could stump a little bit for some JS Online content, of my course. colleague Lori Nickel wrote about Tremont Williams, who uh, he is a safety, right? Like full so time? He is not. He is, um, he's still been listed with the corners and playing corners. I think he should be a safety at this right. point, and I if he—that's where we're going, isn't it? I think so. Okay, but he—he uh, he has also been penciled into slot corner a bit thus far. So. All right, so this isn't the smoothest of transitions, yeah. but he—he uh, he was talking about his rejection letter. The Houston Texans, of course, were in town for these joint practices. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Former Texan Tremont Williams. Yeah, he started there, and and the rejection they gave him when they cut him was a form letter like you would see for a kid's swim lessons, like. You know, does the backstroke well, satisfactory or whatever. And they checked the reason for cutting him. And it was like, you know, in our opinion, you did not live up to the expectations we had set for you. And one of the other options was we there were basically there are players that we value greater than you, you know, in in our determination that they are more likely to contribute to us winning. It was the weirdest thing. I didn't know that. I didn't know any team would do, would handle it quite like that. You see on hard knocks, you know, it's all face to face. Apparently that wasn't always the way, uh, <laughs> the way that cuts were handled, but I was just, it was fascinating. And so a uh, great story by Lori Nickel, him looking back on that moment in time. Well, early, early Texans teams were just a dumpster fire. Uh, David Carr set league records in times getting sacked. Yeah, in his first two first, years. First two years, just uh, I think that guy actually would have been okay if he wouldn't have gotten beaten up so bad. He was sacked. It was like seventy five times his rookie year. Some some like ridiculous number. And so yeah, like the Texans early on, it took a long time for them to get their poop in a group. Yeah. Oh, and just to finish off the safeties, um, Josh Jones is playing linebacker or being suspended for fighting. So um, that's the one bad one there. Um, uh, he's a malcontent. Uh, if you're looking for like a a maybe surprise late cut, um, Josh Jones is you know he demanded a trade. He's been bad. They like to use him as a hybrid player. He's super athletic, but like that guy might not last very much longer. I don't think he'd be a surprise cut at this. And I point. guess that's true. He's that he's even run himself into not being a surprise cut. It would be normal if he got cut at this point. Um, I think that at this point, uh, the only thing that would possibly save his job is being a special teams ace. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. That guy is. We didn't even talk about Trevor Davis when we were talking about the receivers because he's been looking good too. He right? actually has been looking good. I just don't trust that at all. Like, no. I mean, his his he's making his bank on special teams. If he can turn into something as a receiver, more power to him. I've never look, seen anybody look more lost trying to track the ball in the air. 
training camp Trevor Davis is always a stud. He's been <laughs> a stud for the last few years. Um, this is the first time where he hasn't completely disappeared when the pads came on. However, just I want to see some game action. Yeah, and, and like, like he had that family night highlight, and it was a nice play. But like, let's not trust one play on on Trevor Davis. He's yeah. <laughs> he's had lots of opportunities at this point. His biggest play ever is a pass interference penalty. I mean, it was. An outstanding pass interference penalty. It was a seventy-two yard pass interference penalty. Hey man, he's he also sold the hell out of that. He, he did. He did a good so job. Hard. He deserves credit just for that alone. So uh, okay, let's do we'll do one more from Jonathan Deal. And um, are we overhyping the defense because they were abusing a horrible offensive line for the Texans, as well as an offense that is still working out the kinks between Matt Lafleur and twelve? So the question basically is. Does the defense look awesome because they've played a bad offensive line and because the Packer offense is brand new? And there's probably some of that, yes. Um, We'll do the defense in a little more depth, I think, in a future podcast because we're running a little light on time tonight. But um, certainly that does contribute. But you can't ignore the fact that they are personnel-wise just much better than they were last year. And the guys who have looked really good are a lot of the new guys. So Zedaria Smith has looked just dynamite whenever he's been on the field. All practice accounts are good. Um, their, their Jair Alexander has been excellent, um, as you'd expect him to be. He's not new, but he's newish, second year. Um, Preston Smith's been a little off and on just because he's been a little hurt. But Gary has impressed early. So, um, yeah, there's probably some of that. But I think we can all expect them to be certainly better than last year just because their players are better than last year as long as they stay healthy. And I mean, it was a, it was just a train wreck out there last year with lack of depth and lack of stars and lack of uh, especially edge rushing. Ugh. <laughs> just it's nice to have uh, like Clay Matthews, great all time Packer or whatever, but nice to move on from him at this point in his career. Okay, how dare you disrespect King Sacrell and his <laughs> ten and a half sacks? <laughs> Uh, uh, if you look at his rates on sacks, it's the most unsustainable thing that's ever happened. I mean, it, it's hilarious. It, it made last year's season actually worth having, just to have Kyler Fackrell have 10.5 sacks. It was hilarious. It was amazing. Uh, I think I think everybody, myself included, thought that that guy was one of the worst draft picks of all time. <laughs> and it turns out, no, it wasn't. It was okay. Good, good on Ted for that one. Someone asked Ryan Wood, one of my colleagues today on Twitter, if they'd ever seen, if, if there was any player who had been just dominated in one-on-ones in practice who had, who had actually made the team and been, you know, been a contributor, he's like, oh, I can think of a guy off the top of my head. It's <laughs> Kyler Fackrell. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's a, I mean, there's the, the play that, that sums up Kyler Fackrell as a player, I think is against the, uh, against Washington when he goes against, was it Morgan Moses? Yeah, I have that gif just ready to go at any given moment. It's amazing. He's, he's late onto the field, um, but times his pass rush just well enough for Morgan Moses to literally throw him out of the frame. Yep. It's great. It's fantastic. Gamer. But good on Kyler. Um, What a weird player. Like, he's old. Um, and usually old guys don't develop, and he actually developed. Uh, he, he blew away a lot of my stereotypes about player development. <laughs> you know, everything I read about Mike Pettin is a, is a little bit like a college a college coach trying to, to build up their program, that he really needs his guys to execute what he wants to do. So do you think, if, if it doesn't work this year on defense, that's his, only his second year, but, I mean, he basically, just, he's just remodeled everything. And, you know, Mike Daniels is kind of the last the, the last stumbling block there yep. last block there do you think i mean do you think that's that's really bad on Pettin if this defense isn't because i mean it sure seems like this defense should be really so pretty good this I, year i do think it's pretty bad if it goes south um and part of that is because i think he does have a big um say in personnel 
for his own defense, yeah, and that's that why that happened. Seems like Rashawn Gary is, yeah. is him. I would say, though, the one place where they should be concerned is depth at corner, where they're still, I mean, uh, I, I do like Tony Brown a lot, but he's still an undrafted free agent, and it's like, I don't I don't know what year it is, but it's still young. <laughs> but like Kevin King went out with a hamstring injury yesterday, which is the official start of Packers season, basically, and like... <laughs> He, Kevin King's good when he's on the field. He's just never on the field. And Jair Alexander appears to be quite good. Um, though, he, you know, we also thought Quentin Rollins was also good for a year before he, I mean, maybe he still is. Actually, the Browns seem to be getting something out of him. But at any rate, um, it, after those two, there's not a lot there. And corner's important in this league. People pass a lot in this league. And it's where they've been burned seemingly forever at this point since they started Ladarius, Ladarius Gunter in a playoff game against the Atlanta Falcons where they got blown out as their number one corner. Um, so Patton's changed a lot of things. He's changed the pass rush. He's changed up front. Um, I, I think they'll generate a lot of pressure, but there's still some question marks back there where they could still get burned pretty easily. So um, I, I think he'll be judged. Um, he may have another year, but it, it, if it blows up in his face and, it, and that's the reason that happens and they didn't spend resources there to, to gussy things up a little bit, uh, uh, he might find himself on a hot seat pretty quick. Well, I think Mike Patton is a master at uh, generating a pass rush. Last year, the Packers had, it was like 13 defenders with at least one full sack. They actually had a good pass rush last year in terms of sacks. Um, Hurries was not as good. Hurries was bad. But so um, when people talk about some of Patton's historically good defenses, like dragging the Jets to the AFC Championship twice, he had Darrell Revis. Like, he he had one of the best corners to ever walk the face of the earth. Whenever he's it's, had a good defense, he's had someone kind of like Darrell Revis, even if it hasn't been Darrell Revis. Even when right. he was on the Browns, I forget who it was, maybe Joe Hayden in his heyday, but he had actually somebody good that then fell off a cliff. Yeah. So I, I think if, if Jair can uh, take a second-year leap from his already pretty stellar rookie season and stay healthy, that Petten can work with that, especially getting a guy like Rashawn Gary, which I got to go back to the the altar of Brett Coleman. He talks about how Petten loves using athletes as chess pieces and moving them all around the field. And like, hey, this guy might be listed as an interior interior D lineman, but he's lining up at middle linebacker and coming in on a B gap stunt. Indeed. So um, I think that's going to do it for us tonight. I'm running a little light on time, but um, thanks everybody for joining. Um, this is our first one, so um, this will be available up on iTunes shortly, Apple Podcasts, I guess it is now, um, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, please rate us and review us if you like us. We'll, um, please like and subscribe, and uh, uh, please, please let the guys at the tailgate know that you liked and subscribed as well, because that helps us too. So um, thanks everybody for listening, and we will be back next week with another one. <laughs>